1: 630 Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on 630
2: Chad. 15-1, the Dodgers leading the Braves. It's now in the seventh. Dodgers got 11 runs in the first inning. Astros lead Tampa Bay one nothing in the bottom of the second. Astros must win to stay alive. Tampa Bay is up three nothing in that series. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside sports on Oilers and EE Radio six thirty. Chad, we had the Double E Football Team coaches show last night at seven thirty. It'll be back on Monday. It say it is scheduled for Mondays. We did bump it to Tuesday yesterday because of the long weekend. Really good to hear Scott Milanovic in conversation with Morley Scott. The uh, Edmonton Oilers uh, quiet. Today probably will be quiet for a while. Of course, uh, tourists, Barry signing, Ennis is coming back. Mike Smith is coming back. You can get the lowdown on 630chead.com, globalnews.ca. All right, the Western Hockey League aiming for January 8th. That was announced this afternoon. The Western Hockey League hoping to return on January 8th. The Alberta teams would play only each other during the regular season. So you've had Edmonton, Red Deer, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, and Calgary playing each other over and over again. The seven teams in Saskatchewan and Manitoba would be in a division. The BC-based teams would play each other, and the five teams in the United States in Washington and Oregon would play each other. That's the plan. We had Kurt Hill on the show earlier. He's the general manager, president of hockey operations for the Edmonton Oil Kings. The Montreal Canadiens getting a contract extension done with Brendan Gallagher. We'll have Eric Engels from Sportsnet in Montreal to uh, fill us in on that interesting situation as it looked like, uh, well, a day ago that uh, talks had broken down. Maybe Gallagher would not get that extension, but now it is signed, so he'll give us the low lowdown there. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the head coach of the U of A Golden Bears hockey team. It is Ian Herbers. Ian, good to talk to you again, sir.
1: How are you doing? Good, Reed. Thank you. It seems like forever since we've talked
2: well, it's been far too long, and unfortunately, most of our discussions have been about games being put off or canceled or, or not being played. So I'm glad I'm glad you're taking the time to check in because I think we should remind people, uh, Golden Bears hockey is doing a lot of things Golden Bears hockey usually does. You, you just can't play games right now.
1: Nope, no, nope. we're practicing Monday to Friday, uh, 730 in the morning, working a lot of skill sessions, a lot of individual sessions. Um, taking weekends off uh, and holidays, so obviously we took the Thanksgiving Monday off or let our guys get a chance to go home. But I, I think the month or so that we've been going, it's been fantastic. The guys have had a lot of jump every morning, a lot of enthusiasm, and it's been positive and fun out on the ice, which is a nice.
2: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you about that. Um, it's I, I would think it's hard to just practice i mean as you know i I work with rob brown and he always jokes that he didn't really like practicing at all
1: (laughs) so uh, we won't get into uh, that i guess
2: no that's that's a topic (laughs) for another day but is that is that the coaches that have kept that attitude up have 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 there been some players or some leaders who have come in and said look we got no choice we're not playing games who's creating the energy
1: I think it's a combination of everything. Obviously, coach has got to lead and set a good example and make interesting practice plans and change things up and and keep it lively, challenge the guys, uh, bring in new stuff, Um, get different experiences. We've had Ryan Marsh show up a couple days and help us out, so a different voice. Adam Mana from the Crusaders has helped us out here and there as well. Uh, different voice as well, bringing in different experiences. So it's been good. The energy, our guys, though, but it comes from our leadership group. Uh, it starts with them, but our young players, our first year guys, have been great too. A lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. Been working hard. Uh, you can see big improvement in our players. Do you have any plans?
2: Will you be allowed to play any exhibition games, even if it's just taking on, you know, a, a Nate or a McEwen or a Concordia or somebody like that?
1: Uh, we've been in discussions with Canada West teams, uh, with Calgary uh, uh, Mount Royal, and Grant McEwen. Uh, maybe possibility we do some Red Deer, Nate fake games as well and that's easier, a lot easier keeping it in Alberta uh, and we'll see where the the lay of the land is in a month or so and see if we can play any Saskatchewan teams. But right now, just kind of looking at the Alberta teams, uh, obviously Grant McEwen is an easy choice just across the river, easy easy for both sides and easy to kind of stay in a core cohort um and good experience for both teams
2: all right ian herbers head coach of the U of A golden bears joining us tonight on uh, on inside sports so what so we're looking at what it's in november now because canada west had an announcement earlier this month but they pushed that date back so we're looking at a november date for finding out about a season after christmas
1: Yeah, I believe it's November 2nd or 3rd. They bumped it back three weeks, I I think they said. Uh, They'll make that decision if if the winter sports will play starting January. Hopefully they've looked at a schedule. It's looking like a 12-game possible, 12 to 14-game. I haven't heard a definite yet on that. Um, We won't be able to play all the teams just because of the shortens shortened season but we'll get a a good 12 games in plus playoffs and then who knows if there's a national championship i don't think nationals would happen unless all four divisions conferences were playing
2: okay yeah that's a that's a whole other thing to worry about have you had to like can guys still all change in the bears room or do you have to try to space them out for for things like that are there other covid concerns you have to work around when you're at claire drake
1: well, it's been nice because we're at, as I said, starting at 730 in the morning. So there isn't many people around the campus. There's not many people at normal times either, but especially at that time in the morning, um, our guys wear masks coming in. They wear masks in the dress room, but we have the uh, Monday to Thursday, we've gone to split the team in half. So we have 11 skaters, 10 skaters and two goalies on the ice, plus the coaches. Uh, so cutting the groups down, they kind of meet halfway through as one team's coming off, one's going on. Uh, but it's been good. They limit their contact. Uh, and the best thing about it is it's given me more individual time with the players instead of having the entire team on the ice where I've got to worry about running the entire practice. I've actually let my assistant coaches run all the drills or most of the drills and skills. And I've been able to do some teaching and interacting with the players that in a normal season I don't normally get to do. Uh, so I've been having a good time and a fun time and getting to know, especially, as I said, the young guys a lot better Uh, but it's been a good experience so far. Are
2: are your players, I mean, they're all coming to practice. Are they all actually going to classes, or are some of them maybe going back to their dorms or their apartments or wherever they're staying and doing learning online? I mean, I don't know if you about every single class for every single guy, but what's sort of happening with student-athletes for classroom stuff?
1: I think there's a couple guys that are doing labs that are small that are in class, but for the most part, it's all online. Uh, some have practice or classes immediately after our practice, so they race up to the Bears, then get online and get on their class. Uh, some will go home. Some will find a quiet area on campus because most of the facilities are open on campus, uh, just where the so they can get through there. They also head over to the High Performance Centre Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and get a workout in as well. So somewhere in between that, either at the uh, south campus or main campus, they're finding the spot to, to get their academics done. Okay,
2: well, you know, hopefully there is some sort of a season, whether it's like you said, a dozen or fourteen games in playoffs. There's so many great rivalries in Canada West, and obviously, you know, the Bears are perennial top team. So, where where was the University Cup supposed to be? Anyway, if there if there is one, is it out east again?
1: I believe it's Prince Edward Island. Last year the females were at Prince Edward and it was the males this year um so that was still the talk they're still potentially hosting it but as i said that depends if all the conferences play and uh, right now we're just worried about getting our league play that's the first hurdle there's no nationals until we get to play league play here so we'll figure that out first and then keep going from there
2: and in march did they not play the first day of nationals and then call the tournament off
1: They did. It was in Halifax, so the Thursday games played. uh, So two teams had lost and two teams won. I believe Saskatchewan was one of those early games and ended up losing to FX or one of the Ontario teams. I don't even remember now who they were playing. Uh, But then they called it after those first two games, so the other teams didn't get to play. So like UBC, who knocked us off, flew all the way to Halifax and didn't even get to play a game. So they didn't get to experience what it feels like playing a game at nationals in that, in that spotlight, in that kind of pressure pot. Yeah,
2: yeah, that was that was tough. I thought I, I thought they were still going to do that tournament when this all started breaking, but obviously they decided not to. Ian Herbert, yeah, U of A hockey to coach, joining everybody us.
1: Everybody flying out, in the distance it is to get to Halifax and everything else. So you know, you know with everything going on, it was a tough situation.
2: Ian, how much uh, how much of the National Hockey League playoffs did you get to watch? And did anything really, really strike you? I mean, we saw Tampa Bay finally get it done. I know you were a member of that organization uh, back in the day, part of your NHL career. Uh, Dallas with, uh, you know, Todd Nelson and Derek Laxtall, who you would have known a little bit just from them being in Edmonton in the past. What, uh, you know, what struck you? Or were, there, or were there any coaches and players you kind of felt yourself pulling for a little bit?
1: No, it was just it was a change. Definitely watching hockey in August and, uh, and playoffs in September, uh, which was nice at times. Unfortunately, a few times there was different things going outside and beautiful weather, so didn't get to watch in depth as as much as I want to. But the next day, trying to get highlights and reading articles and, and listening to interviews by the players, but it was I thought it was good um, opportunity for the, the teams to play. In uh, a safe environment for the players um, and the chance of winning the Stanley Cup. So it was nice to see Tampa win it after the year they had the previous year. Uh, and I thought they had a good regular season this past season. So it was nice to see them win, come up on top. Uh, and it was good for Dallas, all the challenges that they've had during the season and changes and everything that was going on in their organization to get to the finals and, and put up a good series with Tampa. So I thought it was a lot of good hockey. Uh, watching some system, watching the way some of the coaches handling their benches and their players, uh, checking to see if any new face-off plays or in that. So just picked up a few things along the way there, uh, just trying to find anything skill-wise or system-wise that could help our team.
2: How many face-off plays would a, would an NHL team, or the Bears, I guess doesn't have to be an NHL team, how many face-off plays would a team have? And are they more in the defensive zone or in the offensive zone?
1: All three zones. We'll run plays with the Bears in the D zone. Uh, we'll try and create offense from our defensive zone face-up wins. And even sometimes... Uh, even the one time, I think our first year in nationals, we were playing McGill and Saskatchewan and they, they lined up goofy for an offensive zone face-off and our guys recognized it right away, set a play and they were gone. And it was a two on one right off the D zone face-off. So we'll look for plays in the D zone, neutral zone, old zone to take advantage of the team setups and the way they're playing.
2: Is that on the center to Make everybody aware what's happening if it's in the de- the the goaltender, an experienced guy who might say, "Okay, look, we got to we got to be ready here."
1: Well, it's something we practice and go through on video and off ice, and we talk about and discuss. Um, and we'll just do face off. Sometimes we'll just. 5-on-5 five five face-offs, and that's all we'll do, all neutral zone, D-zone, O-zone, and you guys, you know all our plays, all, everything we're set up. And every once in a while, the guys throwing a new one that I haven't seen or a little variation, which is fantastic, because if you get your team thinking about what they're doing on the ice ahead of time, uh, your team will be better. So our guys take that ownership. Uh, the one thing I say to them, if you're going to call play or change the play, Uh, What we've called from the bench, you better make sure all five guys, and especially if it's in the D zone, all six guys know what's going on so there's no confusion and it doesn't end up in the back of our net. So I give them the freedom to make the calls, but they better be on the same page and execute it.
2: Yeah. I, I've, you know, over the last couple of years, I, I've been really interested watching Haskinen, and Makar Hughes, you know, these players that can real the, the defenseman, right. They can really skate. They go back, get the puck, they get it up ice. Like I've, I really feel that the way a defense core is composed is, is changing in hockey in general, maybe over the last five or 10 years. Do you, do you find that or, am, or am I reading too much into some of this?
1: I agree with you those guys have been fantastic I never had a chance really to watch Hughes in Vancouver during the regular season and you know you hear all the hype and how good he is and everything else that's I guess probably the one thing from watching the playoffs I watched Vancouver a lot more more closely than I would during the regular season and just watching some of the things that these young guys coming in first year players in the National Hockey League all the pressure the hype playing against the best players in the world how confident and poised they are with the puck and plays they're making and getting back to pucks and moving pucks quickly and, and being involved in the offense. With the new rules here and not being able to hold up and hook and ski guys and slow that forecheck down, you've got to have mobile defense and then get the pucks quickly, uh, relieve that pressure because so many teams are, use that aggressive forecheck and you want to spend as little time as possible in your D zone. And if you don't have D that are mobile quick and smart, uh, you're going to spend a lot more time in your D zone.
2: Yeah, I hear you there. Ian, thanks for checking in. Uh, so what, early tomorrow, you're on the ice at 7.30?
1: Yeah, 7.30. We're two groups. We just alternate. One starts at 7.30 till 8.10. We go 40 minutes, uh, and the guys, the pace has been fantastic. Uh, get an ice cut. The next group comes on at 8.20, 8.25. We go for another 40 minutes, and, uh, the same drills. Uh, and the energy's been good, like I said. So it's been fun going out there every morning. And uh, what well, I was worried about are guys skating first thing in the morning because it's a change for them. Uh, but they've been awake. They've we've started a minute or two minutes early every practice. We've never had to wait for stragglers. So, like I said, it's been good.
2: Well, that's good to hear. I, I know you're still enjoying it, and hopefully, we're talking about games in the uh, in the new year. Ian, thanks for checking in tonight. Always appreciate your time, man. Glad you're doing well. well always a pleasure talking to you, Reed. Thank you. That is Ian Herbers, head coach of the U of A Golden Bears hockey team. Update on his program, always an excellent one so uh, maybe it is November 2nd, the new date for Canada West to announce if they are going to go ahead with uh, with sports in the new year. So, uh, well, I guess the U of A's uh, shut down all their sports, though so hockey's been able to uh, keep going thanks to a, a generous alumni member, but uh, yeah, it'd be great to have some Canada West hockey for sure. Okay, 780497, and should mention Pandas hockey too, 780497 Six zero zero six three to call or text. We're back after the break. So, the LA Dodgers set a record tonight with 11 runs, a postseason record, most runs in a single inning. They got 11 runs in the first against the Braves. They are cruising along in this game. It's now after 7 15 1 for the Dodgers. Just was checking here. The most runs by a team in a single inning in the regular season is 18. This was set by the Chicago White Stockings against the Detroit Wolverines. Hello, Logan. On September 6th, 1883. I did a quick search for that game on YouTube. I couldn't find anything. 18 runs, the Chicago White Stockings against the Detroit Wolverines. Well, it was pretty hard for the Wolverines to field the ball with those three claws sticking out of their gloves. The modern day record, 17 runs in an inning. This was June 18th, 1953, Boston Red Sox against the Detroit Tigers, not the Wolverines. They must have had a Tiger fight a Wolverine and it won, so they changed the team name. At least that's how I envision it happening. We'll go to Montreal to check in with Eric Engels. Interesting story there with Brendan Gallagher, Josh Anderson, Jeff Petrie got a New contract a few weeks ago. Happy to hear from you. 780-496-0063 is the number to call and text. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. January 8th, that's the date that WHL is shooting for to return. Bottom of the third, Houston leading Tampa Bay 1 nothing. Tampa Bay's up 3 0 in the series. Top of the eighth, it is the Dodgers trying to hold on to a 15 1 cushion over the Atlanta Braves as Atlanta is up 2 0 in the series. Dodgers got 11 runs in the first inning. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. I was talking before we went to break about uh, an old team in Major League Baseball called the Detroit Wolverines. Still, one of my favorite team names of all time is a uh, pro football team from the uh, 1920s. I think they might have played into the 30s. The Dayton Triangles, who, uh, oh no, sorry, they went from 1913 to 1929. They played in the NFL from 1920 to 1929. They were originally called the, uh, the gym cadets, the, the, the Dayton gym cadets, and then they eventually became the Dayton Triangles. I wonder what their logo was. Hey, guys, uh, what do you think we should do for a logo? Yeah, I don't know, Louis. How about a square? Uh, I don't know. don't know if that fits. Hey, what if we had a circle or something like that? Uh, I don't know. What else could we do? So they were the Dayton Triangles. Apparently, they were named after the park they played in they played in triangle park which i uh, assume was some sort of a three-sided park which would have made for odd football games i guess if they were missing a sideline or had it on an angle <laughs> the dayton triangles one of the all-time great names in the world of sports 780-496-0063 to call or text kellen kennedy is back at the 630 Ched broadcasting compound kellen how are you doing hey reed how you doing i'm uh, i'm doing quite well hey all the best to your dad okay
3: yeah for sure uh he might be even be listening to us tonight, so he might have got that in person, but yeah oh my pass goodness that on
2: for sure, well, I hope so, yeah I hope it all goes well go goes well for him for sure. what's going on quickly here, kellen what mm. if anything, do I need to know about the world of wrestling so i can have intelligent conversations with wrestling fans <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> well wwe just had their draft over uh, friday night and uh, monday night they do this once per year where they just kind of reset the rosters going into uh, uh you know the next I guess, wrestlemania cycle or whatever uh and by all accounts uh, both shows were kind of lackluster so so they draft the wrestlers
2: to go into different parts of WWE. Yes. Yeah. But they're all in WWE. That's right. So what's the point of drafting them? <laughs> what am I missing here?
3: Yeah, that's the uh that's the whole thing. Well, don't forget they have the kind of intramural competition between Raw and SmackDown, right? So that's that's basically what you're drafting for at that point. Is okay. who will make up on who will wrestle on what show.
2: Sounds confusing. To me, pro wrestling should be this guy hates this guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this one guy is the really athletic guy who hops around and does all the acrobatics. And he hates the guy who's the big uh, bulldozer in the ring. They have different styles and they hate each other and they fight. To me, mm-hmm. that's as complicated as, as you get in pro wrestling. Right. Don't need drafts or different nights for different shows or, or all well, really, that's all. I'm trying to think of what else is, is complicating here. But that's. <laughs> but I guess they, they gotta they gotta layer it for the hardcore fans like you. Hey. You want more depth to it.
3: If we have more time one night, I'll take you through SLAM analytics. Yes, analytics is making its way into pro wrestling here, Reid. Oh that's good. That's good to hear. All <laughs> right. Well I appreciate the update. That
2: is Kellen Kennedy. He and I, of course, founded the SLA, the Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling, which is uh doing quite well, going strong through the pandemic uh 780 is how you can get in touch Ken Holland the general manager of your Edmonton Oilers was on Oilers now with Bob Stauffer yesterday hit on a variety of topics I want to get to this clip a player that a lot of you ask about a lot of you love a lot of you uh, want him back after next season Ryan Nugent Hopkins who has one year left on his current deal what's going on there
1: You know, we've had lots of conversations. Agent Rick Vallette and myself, we're going back to really, I think we started probably uh, in about January. Rick came in and uh, uh, we met for two, three hours, and we've just sort of, you know, that's the process. That's the way the process works. So, you know, certainly uh, I'd like to keep, I think I've said before, I'd like to keep Ryan. I'd like to find a solution that works for Ryan and for us. Certainly, I understand in Ryan's case, it's going to have to be uh, some some uh, some term. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what goes on here. Uh, obviously, what's happened here the last three, four days um, in free agency is going to impact their thinking. It's going to impact my thinking. And uh, hope, But hopefully, we can find a solution because he's a real important player on our team. He's a good player on and off the ice.
2: Well, he definitely is. And if you look short-term here with Kyle Turris's. The third line center. It allows Nugent Hopkins to play on a wing with either McDavid or Dry As we move into the future, Nugent Hopkins, a versatile player. I think he's turned into a pretty solid two way player over the years. Brendan Gallagher has signed for six years, $39 million with the Montreal Canadiens. I, I think it would be great if the Oilers could get Nuge for that. Uh, you know, Bob and I have talked about this before, and maybe Nuge is going to want seven or a little over seven per year. Um, but uh, you know, we know the cap's not going up. I do think, well, I mean the fact that they're talking well, we we know if they're talking, Nugent Hopkins is certainly very open to remaining an Edmonton Oiler. I think there's a lot of good things for him with being an oiler both on and off the ice. So hopefully an extension gets done could be one of these things that maybe drags into the new year, the start of the next season, but there, there is some conversation going on. Fitzy says raw has a separate roster than SmackDown. So it's kind of like major league baseball has the American league and the national league. It's dumb. That's according to Fitzy. Fitzy, Thank you for checking in with that. That's a good way for me to understand it. Fitzy, you are a, uh, you are a concise gentleman. Speaking of gentlemen, my goodness. I am graced tonight on line one. It's kJm Hello, k
4: This guy, Reed. Uh, how you doing, bud? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. Hey, I I, uh, I hate to, to wrestle you back to hockey and... <laughs> Uh, I gotta draft a proposal here for you, though, and uh, we'll see see how it goes. Yeah. So, Reid, I was thinking about something that Hart Levine said on uh, Bob's show the other day about uh, salary cap and LTIR, yeah. and it occurs to me that if I understood this correctly, and I most certainly may not, but right. that if we have um, players on LTIR to start the season. Um, however far over the cap we are with those players on LTIR is how far we're allowed to go, you know, under the assumption that they were to remain uh, on LTIR all season, right? Now, obviously, if a player comes back, then that impacts how much LTIR you end up having. But um, this got me thinking. So um, if the Oilers were to go out and acquire a player who they know is going to be on ltir all season you know and they were to start cleft bomb uh start the season with Clefbaum bomb on ltir they might be able to fit another player under the cap you know depending on how much the ltir player is making and yeah. bring cleft bomb back and as long as that other player assuming assuming they have a, a, a medium or a larger contract doesn't come back they would be okay. Does that, does that sound like it makes sense to you?
2: I, I think I understand what you're saying, and somebody texted me something along those lines a few days ago. The way somebody explained LTIR once to me, KJAM was that whatever your salary was at, when you put the player on LTIR, becomes your new cap. So I'd
4: let's think, just... There we go, yeah. That's, what, that's so the let, way that I was... Long, the long right. way of saying what I thought what I was saying, yeah.
2: Uh, right, so here's the thing. So if they put... Okay, so if they put Bomb on the cap now, the cap would basically stay the same because what are they within... Is it 600,000 or something like that? It's pretty close, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but if you added another player, uh, then I don't know... So, so here's my you... proposal.
4: Here, here's, here's my proposal. So let's say you could add like a Nathan Horton-type player, a David Clarkson-type player, right? Yeah. Somebody who's making six mil plus, that would put us well over the cap, even if we just start the season with that player on LTIR, right? And then you end up putting Clef Bomb on LTIR to start the season two, potentially. And what you would do with that three or four million other dollars. is the difference between um, Clef Bomb's contract, the, the the basically the the Clef Bomb contract, um, is you might be able to add another player in and about that range, and then as long as the Clarkson type player doesn't come off LTIR, you're still going to have like something like well let's say the cleft bomb's gone half the season that's half of his two million plus all of the other six million uh let's just say of the other player that's eight million to play with in ltir um you might be able to sign a player for something like four million and not be that worried about hitting the cap so what i'm yes. suggesting is if there is a player out there that we know isn't going to play this season and has a cap hit maybe just like one year left in the contract, obviously, we're talking about an ideal sort of scenario. This is a player that would actually have value to come and eat up money and not play for your team. Um, you might be able to, to sign another player to play in the top six, you know, sort of a bargainish type contract. Like, who knows what, or, what Mike Hoffman's actually going to get this year. He or it allows you to- for a one-year, three-and-a-half, four-million contract or something like that.
2: Or, if, if I'm following what you're saying, it allows you to activate cleft bomb without having to go over.
4: Absolutely. You and know, get that rid that of somebody. It, that, would be, that would make it easy. That would make the cleft bomb situation super easy. And, and you still have some cap to potentially play around with. As long as that other player had, had some salary, did come back, and maybe only had a year left. Or maybe you know that they have two years left, right? But if they're, if they're only expected to miss the one season... And the player may have value the season after they could be taken potentially by Seattle or they could right. be a player on your club. So I think that that's something that, like, you know, as we get into this offseason that may extend for a while, it may be something to look into. Because I haven't looked into seeing, you know, who these players might be and if they're available. But I think it's an interesting concept to look at if you're looking to try to improve the team right. still yep. this year.
2: That is, and I think it would have to be a player, like you said, that you know is not going to come back and play. There might be a chance Clefbaum could come back and play, but you you make a great point. Um, And the way someone explained LTIR to me, because teams will never put a player on LTIR until they're close to the cap, because whatever you're at when you put the player on LTIR becomes your new cap. So if you're ten million dollars below the cap, you wouldn't put somebody on LTIR because then you're wrecking it. That's
4: why we don't put Clefbaum on the cap right now until right. like after day one of the season right you start the season with him on the roster before you ltir him and it's the difference between like or if but if we were over the cap if we if we had acquired players that were over the cap well we would want to make it worth our while we'd want to be you know at least two million over the cap assuming cleft bomb's gone half the year right uh, and then uh and then we would it would be worth our while to be paying for a player not to play this year Anyway, yeah. is sort of something interesting that I was floating no, around? No, it is. And, it's you know that's we're good. That's creative thinking. I bl-
2: yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up, KJ. I, mean, I do think that's something to follow. Whether the Oilers do that or or, or another team, for sure. Hey, thanks <laughs> yeah. for checking in, buddy. I'm always happy to hear from you.
4: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I just wanted to spitball some stuff. Have a great rest of your night.
2: That is KJ. We're back with Eric Engels. and coming back from break. 7.50. So well, this guy has been incredibly busy today, but he's still generous enough to join us here on Inside Sports in Edmonton. Checking in for Montreal, senior columnist at Sportsnet, Eric Engels is on the line. Eric, thanks for doing this. How are things, buddy? I've been busy every day with what Mark Bergevin has been up to. <laughs> okay, well, let's start with the last 36 hours or so they weren't talking with brendan gallagher oh now he has a contract
0: what what happened you know i think when you have a player that wants to be here long term and you have a general manager who wants to lock him in long term i didn't think um the optics of there being some sort of contentious issue between them were favorable you know it's the kind of thing you want to wrap up and clean up pretty quickly especially when you know there's a compromise to find and I also think, you know, this is a player that's a known commodity, a guy that Mark Bergevin loves, a guy that he's referred to as the heart and soul of the team, a guy he said recently in interviews that he wanted to lock up uh, to the the highest cap number uh, among the forwards on the Canadians, and that ideally he would retire as a Montreal Canadian. So, I don't think you want that player thinking for even one more day that he's any less important than some of the other guys that have come in here over the last few weeks. And the Canadians move forward with a player that they know that they can win with. and, And he's vital to them potentially winning. And whether or not it looks great five or six years down the line is a problem for another day. On this day, they're going to be happy to have the guy they know and love.
2: Josh Anderson had 27 goals a couple of years ago. He didn't play much this past season, only scored once, uh, you know, 6-3, about two twenty, 220, two twenty-five. 225. I, I got a buddy here in town who's a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, I texted him and I said, uh, what do you think? And I, he said, I hope this is not David Clarkson Part 2. What's your vibe? What's the vibe in Montreal?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, David Clarkson was significantly older when he signed his deal with Toronto, and uh, the best asset of his uh, of, of his makeup was certainly not his skating. Uh, Josh Anderson's a really good skater. As far as whether or not he'll deliver on this deal, that's to be determined. But I think it's a calculated risk on Bergevin's behalf because Canadians haven't had that type of player on their lineup in their lineup since John LeClair was skating with them back in nineteen ninety four. So uh, I think they'll they'll take the size, the aggression, the speed that Josh Anderson comes with, and they're going to hope that he puts the puck in the net at the rate that he did prior to this injury-plagued season that he had. You know, yeah, he had a goal, and he had four points, and uh, there were a lot of questions over 26 games, but he got hurt in the very first game of the season. He tried to play through the pain. He missed a couple weeks. He came back and made it worse and uh, had season-ending end- surgery in March. Um there's a lot for him to prove. He says he's ready to do that. The Canadians uh, obviously believe in the player and we're locked into signing him for as long as they did. The minutes they traded Max Domi a third-round pick to get him. So let's see what he does. But if he does what he's supposed to, it makes the Canadians a lot better
2: uh jeff petrie we had him here in edmonton uh you know he was getting to be a pretty good player i, th- I thought it was kind of mishandled by the Oilers' management uh, at the time and, and he's sticking around there uh as well just give me tell me a little bit about dealing w- with jeff i mean i always thought he was a very uh, mature and uh, and focused guy and he's clearly meant a lot to the halves
0: well uh, jeff's a great guy and jeff has done nothing but be a successful player in montreal and it's been a steady uh, climb and then an exponential one, three straight years of 40 plus points. A uh, guy that logs over 25 minutes a game, a guy that's filled in for Shea Weber has been often injured over the last three years, and a guy that, again, his best asset is his skating. So if you're going to lock in long-term with him, you know, that's the biggest thing that you got to worry about in the pace of today's game. Um, he's also, you know, I think he got knocked quite a bit in Edmonton for quote-unquote being soft. Um, I think over the last three years, he's in the top 15 in the NHL and hits thrown. Um, he's, he's got a physical edge to him, and it's been apparent in several games that he's played over the years, and the Canadians had nobody in the system to replace him with. I, I, I mean, they have some promising players on the right side coming up, whether it's Kill Flurry or Noah Jolson or Josh Brooke or Matthias Norlander, who's looking like he's going to be a star player down the line, a lefty who plays the right side, but... In the immediate future, and for at least a couple years, there's nobody you can do what Jeff Petrie does for this team. And, and in the event that Jay Weber goes down with an injury, you have a guy that you can rely on to play those heavy minutes and in those heavy matchups. So, um, great guy, great family and um loves montreal and certainly there could have been appeal for him to sign just about anywhere else coming out as an unrestricted free agent in 2021 he would have been in high demand and you look at what Alex petrangelo just signed for uh, there's no doubt he'd, he'd he'd have gotten paid um and maybe potentially back home in detroit you know because michigan he's got ties there and he's got a summer home there and they've got a good family life there and his parents are still there so great deal for montreal great deal for petrie and um a lot of great deals that mark burgeon has made recently
2: all right eric thanks for the update uh, i don't want to take up too much of your time because you probably either have more writing to do or you want to relax for a little bit so thanks for <laughs> checking to in tonight
0: back to re- back to writing for sure i'll just be sitting waiting for the, the philip the contract extension to come through <laughs> uh maybe while i'm on the golf course or something we'll see
2: there we go thanks eric
0: all right take care
2: Eric Engels covers the Montreal Canadiens for Sportsnet.ca. Again, one of the stories today that broke this afternoon, January 8th, is the target return date for the Western Hockey League. We had Oil Kings GM Kurt Hill on the show earlier, and Bill Foley, the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, really talking about a Canadian division next year. In the NHL, whenever we're back, maybe not until February 1st. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy's your studio producer. Zach Calaros. I guess he's still the uh, reigning Grey Cup winning quarterback until the CFL comes back. He's scheduled to join us tomorrow. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. Take care.
1: 630 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on 630 Chad.